Welcome to Hunting Influence, a podcast by Influence Hunter. We share stories from those that have it and those that leverage it to help you develop what we believe could be the most important skill in business right now, influence. I'm your host, Aaron Kostinets. I'm here today with Eric Brandholz. Eric is the founder of Beard Brand, a company that provides grooming products and educational uh, and inspirational content to men with all different types of beards. Beard Brand has been featured on GQ, Forbes, Men's Health, Shark Tank, and much more. Eric is passionate for changing the way society views beardsmen and wants to help men find ways to keep on growing and become better men. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, hey, Aaron. Glad to be on the show. Let's have some fun. Let's do it. Uh, I want to start this off with uh, you kind of taking us back to your childhood. Um, was there any first uh, kind of entrepreneurial journeys that you had when you were young that kind of showed you, okay, this is, you know, this is something I'm into? Yeah, I, I've, I've got a fair amount of influences in my life for the entrepreneurial bug, for lack of better words. My grandmother and grandfather, they owned a bar and tavern up in Philadelphia. And all my life, I would go up to Philly and we just um, go to the bar. And I always remembered it was so cool because they would shut the bar down for, for Christmas holidays. And we'd be able to go into the kitchen and make whatever we wanted. And we could go into the fridge and take whatever Coke we wanted. And uh, I could go behind the bar and eat those little uh, sugar um, cherries that are like super sweet. I just eat tons of those and, you know, Slim Jims and stuff like that. It was just like a, a like, I don't know, like the, just the idea that of ownership, like granted, I didn't own it. It was my grandparents bar, but just like, I'm in charge. Like I can do whatever I want, you know, fortunately, because my grandparents allowed me to do that, uh, was, it was like a really exciting experience for me. And then, uh, my, my, first like memory of entrepreneurship is with my buddy uh, cp shaw we had an idea for uh, essentially like a pixie sticks knockoff uh it's the best business model let me tell you so uh we ended up calling it c and e sticks uh c for cp and e for eric uh c and e sticks and what we would do is we would raid our parents pantry i would find like jello powder or cocoa powder or whatever, and I would just like repackage it into straws, and then I'd take it into to school and sell it. So it was like the perfect business model. I got all my my uh, my cogs were zero, you know. I didn't have to pay anything, and then I was able to keep all the profit. So we went to school with I don't know like five or six different pixie sticks or CNE sticks, and uh, ended up like trying to sell a couple, and it was it was challenging. It was like five cents a stick, and then uh, one guy ended up. Uh, agreeing to buy it all for a dollar. And then we're, I wasn't quite cut out for this whole sales thing at that point. Like I got too nervous with it and I'm like, all right, well, I'll liquidate my inventory and, and call it a day. But I had like a little ledger that I made and little notes and, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and of course my first business partner. So. Yeah. And, uh, what did, what did you do? Did you reinvest that, that dollar and, and get more inventory or was that kind of, kind of the big win, like sell, selling your business there? Yeah, I, I think at that point in my life, I was a little more consumerism focused. So I'm sure I um, reallocated that capital into a personal consumerism type of things. I have no <laughs> idea what I spent that dollar on. Candy, probably. Yeah. So so after that, um, 
is that was that like the first time you really really felt the entrepreneurial bug did did it continue from there or did you kind of tone it down after that yeah i mean i i think i was a normal child right i, I played sports i played in the neighborhood you know, I went to school, uh, I studied, I did the homework, I, I did everything you're supposed to. I didn't really think, though. Uh, I was just kind of like going through the processes and getting exposed to things and just kind of like taking it in. Um, so for me, um, I always, I've always like thought independently or contrarian or, you know, just uh, took the minority view on a lot of things. Like I've always been drawn to like the underdog story. Um, and I, I've always wanted freedom. Like I, I don't, I don't do well with people telling me what to do. Like, it's just, it, it eats me up inside. I like this whole past year has just been challenging. I don't know how people can just go along with all these, these rules, uh, especially if they don't agree with them. And, uh, I, I can't do that. Like I, I just like suffer and wither away. So, um, I think it was probably around college that I was like getting the bug for entrepreneurship. I didn't really know what entrepreneurship was, what it took, how to, to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I did m major in management, uh, business management with a focus on entrepreneurship. So there must have been a little bit of a bug uh, in there for me that. Um, but But really, I remember going into college, I wanted to become a salesperson. And uh, I tried to make a bunch of money out of college selling something. So it was a, it was a good journey, I guess. But yeah, entrepreneurship took took a little bit longer to find me than I would have hoped. And and there was a lot of losses or demotivations over the next ten years before uh, before I got to Beard Brand. Yeah, I think kind of sales is 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 one of the closer uh, roles that you can get to being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, without actually starting anything because you really uh, kind of still make your own living. You know, yeah. You, you get it, so. Yeah. And in the right sales role, like if you're an outside sales role, no one's telling you when to come in, no one's telling you when to leave, no one's telling you how many calls to make, you know, like you're in control of your day, you're in control of your performance. It is very much probably the closest role to entrepreneurship. So if you ever want to dip your toe and see what entrepreneur ship may be like uh getting into sales and my business partners too both of them Lindsay and jeremy are both former salespeople, and uh, it helps your communication skills which is so vital in business and it helps your negotiation skills it, it helps your problem solving skills you know it's it's such a great career that i think a lot of people just you know they they got cold called one time or you know they had to deal with uh, someone on the street you know trying to to raise money for the, the kids in africa and they they got turned off on it and there's a lot of really cool sales roles out there um that can help you on your journey absolutely and and we're all we're all selling something to someone at at, at some point in our life for sure oh man it's a skill that like it just it doesn't end you know it's just such a, a valuable skill you you could use it for your whole life yeah. So after uh, college and you went to University of South Carolina, I went to the other USC. Uh, so I know oh, we kind of fight over the, the, the name there, but uh, you worked all these, uh, a variety of different roles. Um, would you say that these roles uh, taught you something or do you wish you'd kind of started your brand earlier? What did you take from, you know, you bounced around from Wacomo to Merrill Lynch, uh, had, had all these different roles at all these different companies. Uh, how did how did that affect you going forward? Yeah, I'm I'm like your typical sales guy slash ADD entrepreneur. Like, 
I can generally learn something relatively quickly. And then, you know, the art of mastery does not appeal to me. So the, the art of learning something new is very appealing and solving problems really, really appearing, but, but becoming a master at something gets, gets really boring to me. And, and say, I found that sales was kind of like that, you know, I would, I would come in and I would do like really well for the first few months. Like I would just crush it. And then it would be like, well, <laughs> this is boring. I figured it out like I can do well, you know, it's just doing the exact same thing for the next 40 years of my life. doesn't seem really, uh, engaging to me. So. Uh, I kind of hopped around uh, in sales. So my progression was like, uh, I started off at, at Dell Computers um, and I took inbound phone calls and did sales that way. So that way was just like pure telephone sales. And then I upgraded my sales role to an outbound sales role where I'd pick up the phone and call people up. So it was a little more aggressive, a little bit better s- skill set. And then I ended up getting a job at a company called Intergraphics, which is now Boingo Graphics. It's a commercial printing company. And that was an outside sales role. So I really started to explore my freedom and, you know, being able to manage my schedule and uh, develop that face-to-face relationship that I wasn't getting uh, over the phone. And I really, um, I really enjoyed a lot of the things that I learned at uh, Intergraphics and the people who I worked with. I think that probably had the, the biggest impact on my career um, and it was around that time that I really started getting all these ideas. Like, it was just like, cause I got real bored and it was a good company and they, they treated me well. Um, but it wasn't like my, my, my lifelong dream. And I, when you're kind of bored, like the ideas just, they dump in. I had this little booklet with uh, ideas and I just like, you know, a cop helmet with lights on it so people can see it better and a, a beer bottle turned upside down so you can pour it easier and, did, you know, just like all sorts of stupid things that I had no idea. And I would try to convince my friends to go into business with me. I'm like, I got this great idea. Let's make, you know, a cop helmet with lights on it. And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 it's a great idea. You know, and they weren't, the reality was they like working for people. And uh, that was a big lesson for me was, you know, rather than trying to convince your friends and family to start a business with you, you just got to be around other entrepreneurs. And Wacomo was like my first real business attempt. So I was selling vinyl wall graphics um, online. I think I had like two sales and then I got nervous and I gave up and, uh, and then I went back to, to working for the man at, at Merrill Lynch and doing some financial advice. And yeah, man, so it's been, it's, a, I, I, I'm a journeyman, a journeyman sales guy. So where did the idea for beard brand come from then? Yeah. So kind of parlaying, I, I was at Merrill Lynch and of course you can't look like this at Merrill Lynch. Uh, and for those who are listening, I've got a beard and long shaggy hair and kind of hipster looking. So I, um, I, I hated working at Merrill Lynch. Um, it, that role was definitely uh, not a role for me. So I quit working there. I grew my hair out, grew my beard out. And um, I tried to start this uh, graphic design business called Sovereignty. And in doing so, I'd still go to networking events and uh, people would call me Grizzly Adams. They call me Duck Dynasty. They call me ZZ Top. And those are like super rad bearded dudes. Um, but if you ever look at my hands, they were made for keyboards. Uh, they were not made for axes. And uh, I ended up attending this event where I started to meet other guys with uh, pretty big beards who didn't fit the traditional stereotype. They were entrepreneurs. I remember I, I met a, a preacher. They were doctors, lawyers, 
designers, like your typical kind of like white collar salespeople, you know, like white collar jobs. And it kind of clicked with me there that there's this whole community of, of a, a type of person that didn't fit the traditional stereotype. And I just wanted to, you know, I'm a uniter. I'm a people person. I wanted to bring them together and give them the tools they needed to, to really feel confident about their style. And, you know, because back then, this was 2011, 2012, there was a lot of pressure not to be allowed to have facial hair in in the, the white collar work work, workforce environment. And uh, I just want to change that. I was like, uh, it's a stupid rule. It's arbitrary. Like, I don't like, I don't like stupid rules. So I'm not one to sit back and just go along with a stupid rule. So that's where I got the idea for Beard Brand. And when did you know that that was like, you were onto something? Did you immediately quit all your other jobs so that was <laughs> your only source of income? No, I wish. I wish. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, like for me, coming up with ideas is, is uh, not hard. It's really easy. Like you could tell me anything about your business and any struggle you're coming up with. And I will come up with like a strategic blueprint that will be probably that will get you to stop and think. You may not implement it, but it will be something that you, you might have not ever thought about before. And uh, so Beard Brand was one of those. At this time, I had Sovereignty. I had Beard Brand. I had this uh, networking event called Startup Spokane. I had Spokane Beard and Mustache. I had Society of Libertarian Entrepreneurs. So I essentially had like these five projects slash business slash ideas that were in the works that I was trying to get off the ground. So Beard Brand, I, I, I just created a blog and, and I created some posts and I had a, a buddy help me out, John Reisinger in the early days. And we had like a Tumblr page and the YouTube channel. And I just kind of like occasionally threw content up. So I had the idea, I had the vision, but I didn't really have the execution skills. And uh, it wasn't until about a year later that I met my current business partners, Jeremy McGee and, and Lindsey Reinders that I was able to like, hey, man, let's go into business with Beard Brand and the New York Times is going to quote me in an article and, you know, let's let's try to make something of it. So it took a year before we really got the business to be kind of like a business. And then once the business was a business, it took probably about 10 months to know that, you know, it was a real business that was sustainable and not just like a side hobby kind of project. So you were doing five things at once, uh, kind of trying to balance, maybe seeing which of them it was actually for you. Do you recommend that? Or was it really hard to focus on any one thing during that time period? Yeah, I, I had a, I had the gift, but also the, the the disability of having a wife that got paid well. And, uh, you know, so food was on the table, a roof was over the head. And I was kind of like, I didn't have, we didn't have any kids at the time. So I didn't really have any other responsibilities other than to, to go grocery shopping every once in a while and make sure the house was clean. And I was just kind of like, you know, free to, to do my own things. Now we weren't living like Kings. Let me be fair. Like she, she gets paid well, but it's, it's not, uh, it wasn't anything that was going to blow your mind. And, uh, but I didn't have that pressure, you know, I didn't have that pressure to perform. Um, so I've, well, to answer your question, no, I would not recommend it. Ideally, you know, find an idea that you're really passionate about. Um, that is an opportunity and realistic uh, that it can be successful in the marketplace and, you know, kind of commit to that. And as much as possible, use your creative energy to find ways to, to grow that company or to improve that company rather than thinking outside that company, which is what I tended to do. And, and I continue to do kind of from time to time. I, but, but mostly I've kind of developed the skill where I've been able to focus my creative talent 
within Beard Brand and things that are related to Beard Brand rather than outside of it. But like every like crazy ADD entrepreneur, I still, I'm gesturing uh, with my hands, with, uh, going away from my brain, but. Going all out yeah. anywhere. Um, so take me back to those, those early days. What did, what did Beard Brand look like right at the start? And what were you doing uh, to try and prove that this was, uh, you know, a real business? Yeah, I mean, uh, it wasn't so much proved that it was a real business. It was just more of work on something I really enjoyed. You know, I just, I, I really loved the vision for Beard Brain. I really love what we were trying to do. I really loved our community. I, I was passionate about my facial hair. I always felt like facial hair was part of me. So it wasn't so much like, oh, let's build this business. Let's make money. There's an opportunity in the marketplace. All these guys are growing their beards. out. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, hey, um, I want to grow a beard. And my boss is telling me not to grow a beard. And my mom is telling me not to grow a beard. And my wife is not sure about me growing a beard. And I just want to grow a beard because that's who I am. You know, I just want to have facial hair. And, um, you know, I just like, I felt like, you know, if I create this community and I found other people like me, I could be like, see, you know, like, look at this person. They're making, you know, a million bucks a year or a hundred thousand bucks a year and they're successful and they have facial hair and they're good people and they go to church and they, you know, like help out with charity and they're productive members of society. So I, j I just wanted to, you know, unite those people. And, you know, we, we coined the term urban beardsman to kind of describe, um, our community members, who they were. And I just wanted to get the word out about uh, Urban Beardsmen and and help. Because uh, I, I got so many stories, too, from people who, like, you know, I, I never had the confidence to grow a beard until I saw some of your videos. And I'm like, man, this is exactly, this is exactly why. It was never to sell products. So the products we sell actually helped finance and fund our message uh, to get our message out there to, to help people. And, and ultimately our mission is to make men awesome. And, and we believe that when men take the time to invest in themselves, to love them, the, the person looking back at them in the mirror, that then they're able to use that confidence and that, um, that love and, and pay it forward to their family and pay it forward to their, their coworkers and pay it forward to the community. And ultimately through focusing on improving individuals, we're going to make society better. Whereas I feel like everyone else has this top-down approach, like this political approach where they're like, oh, we just need to pass this law and society will be better. And it's like, no, society is people. Like if we want a better society, we need better people. So we need to focus on helping uh, people be better. And we focus at Beard Brand, we focus on men who grow facial hair. Like, And then there's amazing other companies out there who focus, like uh, my friend Peter Keller of French Sport, he focuses on people who are into strength training and utilizing strength training to become that better person. And there's so many different ways or avenues to find this self-improvement journey um, that it's, it's an amazing time to, to really be alive and to, to be able to connect with those communities. So uh, one thing I'm really proud of is our, our trademark um, – motto, I guess, which is keep on growing and uh, obviously keep on growing like your facial hair or your, your head hair or something like that. But more than that, like keep on growing as an individual and um, keep on investing in yourself and, and challenge yourself to, to do things you never thought were possible and challenge yourself to, to uh, you know, ultimately end up becoming the, the best person and, and the person you know you can be. Yeah, I love that. I think it's a, it's a really great mission you have. Um, and I bet it makes it 
not only easier for you to wake up in the morning and go to work each day, but uh, also uh, to recruit people who really believe in the same thing you do. Um, so I want to know what, what are some of like the most pivotal moments in your business uh, over uh, the duration of you, you know, becoming where you are today? Or are there any like key pivotal moments that stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly uh, we've been in business for nine years. There's certainly been a lot of things that have made a big impact on both our customers and then me personally. Um, so I'll kind of go um, through the journey. The The first big one, I think, was um, obviously sell number one is, is the greatest. It's the, like the best drug you can ever have. When someone buys your product who you don't know who they are, and they have that faith in you and you deliver it and they get it and they they love it. There's no better high. Like, granted, I haven't done all the drugs out there, but <laughs> it is something that really gets me, uh, me personally motivated to want to continue to, to satiate that need. So sale number one was a great pivotal thing, pivotal, uh, pivotable thing. Um, the next big hurdle uh, was hiring my first hire, you know, and, and what, just like that, that's like up to this point, if the company fails, it's just me. Right. But once you make that first hire and you do something to screw up the business and you know, you have to fire them or let them go because of something you did, like the pressure just gets so much higher. And then not only that, like I can go like a month or two without getting paid. Cause you know, we had savings and my wife had an income, but you know, if we're not making money at Beard Brand, how am I going to pay this person? So that was absolutely terrifying uh, for me to, to, to hire that person and uh, to, to pay them. And then um, from there, we were on Shark Tank, uh, which was nerve wracking and a great experience as well, being, being able to tell our story in front of 7 million people. Um, and then there's, there's things that are like really rewarding for me. So like right here, I've got this, uh, it's called the Book of Reminders. And uh, it's just like a, a little booklet that that I wrote. It's nine different reminders that I tell myself as I face adversity. And it's kind of like um, uh, the chapters are uh, linked to like from from birth to death and and just kind of like the, the concepts that you have through life, you know, like self-investment and, you know, like breathing and, you know, kind of mindfulness and then just like seeing how the world is like you know, interconnected and how you're able to play a part in things. And uh, we were able to include these in, in all the orders that go out. And not everyone's going to get it or not everyone needs it. And, and that's totally fine. If, if they don't need it, they can give it to their friends or throw it away or whatever. But there have been some people who get this who, I mean, I had one guy who, uh, he was in a, a car wreck. And uh, I think his, it was his wife and his uh, it was wife and his kids, I think, and maybe it was just his wife that passed in that that accident, and he he dealt with the brain trauma as well, and he he always beat himself up because of that, and he wasn't able to you know move on from it. And and one of the things I talk about is like the past and the future, and it's like if you want something to to stay in the past and just leave it in the past, you know, like focus on the present, focus on what's here, you know, like he, you're not having a car wreck right now you know like that's no longer happening and um you know he wrote about how valuable the book was and how it was such a good reminder to him uh that life is good that life is good and there's a lot of uh, reasons to live life and uh you know they want to pass it on to their other like support networks and that just personally brings me a lot of joy even if it doesn't 
you know, bring a single dollar into the business. Yeah, that's, that's really cool because like, you know, you would never think that you would get stories that come out of it like that, um, based on your company and what, what you're selling. Right. I don't think many, uh, you know, beauty or personal grooming companies are selling things like that. So I think it's really cool. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit more about your kind of different products that you're selling. So you have this huge range of different products on your website, fragrances, variety kits, apparel, booklets, uh, like you mentioned, alongside a huge selection of beard, hair, and body products um, and their accessories. Did you come up with this range yourself or was it created through a, a lot of collaboration? Yeah, I, I would say a lot of collaboration. Um, I, I certainly had a vision uh, for what we're doing. We wanted to go with like men's staples, obviously starting on beard care and then kind of going beyond the beard. So uh, we've got a beard oil, we've got a beard wash, beard softener, and then we've, we, we kind of started developing these utility products like the utility bomb, utility bar that you can use on different areas beyond the beard. And then we branch into hair care um, with shampoo, conditioner, um, and then uh, cologne, eventually cologne and deodorant uh, and the body side and our utility bar as a, a cleanser as well. So, and then we, we kind of like, those are our core, like we view ourselves as like a a grooming company that develops uh, grooming products that are generally consumable. But we also, you know, got into like our, our combs and, and brushes and the tools. And that's been a big part of uh, our growth and being able to just kind of provide a full experience to our cons- customers and clients. And then the, like the booklets and the apparel and, uh, you know, any hats or, or things like that, they're, they're really not so much part of the business. Like they're not there to drive sales, uh, grow the company. They're more there for like our super fans who really connect with the mission and the brand and and they want to be able to represent the brand. So we don't really make any kind of money on those things. We just, you know, and, you know, try to break even on them, you know, so we're not losing money on them. Um, But we don't focus on ads and selling t-shirts because no one's like, if you never heard of beard brand and you don't know what our mission is, you're not going to buy a beard brand shirt. You know, it's just, uh, it's just kind of the the fact of life. So you've branched out into all these different categories here. Um, How long did you take before you started to venture outside of just beard products? And how long do you recommend, uh, or at what stage do you recommend other entrepreneurs uh, wait until they kind of venture out of, uh, you know, their core, uh, product line. Yeah. I think it's a balance, you know, I think, uh, developing a product roadmap is, is, is challenging because I, I do believe that the products need to work in harmony with each other. They, you need to have a purpose for them. Um, you know, our, our big, u- uh, what is it called? User selling, unique selling proposition is ending scent confusion, which is uh, this thing that happens when you use different brands for your shampoo, conditioner, body wash, shave soap, all that stuff. Um, and we wanted to end scent confusion and give consumers the option to be able to get the same product, or excuse me, get, be able to get the same fragrance and products to take care of all your grooming routines from head to toe. So um, that was our purpose with how we developed our product line. And and with the launch of our deodorant, we kind of uh, completed that line. And uh, that was a a really exciting thing. But, you know, like if you just get ideas and you're like, ah, you know, I want to make a a face mask and I want to make like a toe cream. And, you know, it's like consumers need to like understand like why are they coming to your brand or company 
and what are their expectations for the products um, on your store and how do they all work together? Makes sense. So it has to be has to be on brand and you had the whole ending scent confusion, which allowed you to kind of create a bunch more different products that are on brand. That's uh, really interesting. Uh, I want to ask you, because you've, you've mentioned it a few times, uh, how you're helping men. Do you have any woman customers? Yeah, I mean, certainly. Uh, half the people who work at Beard Brand are women. Uh, so they love using our products as well. But the, the reality is our name is Beard Brain. So like there's 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 no, like if I'm going to be realistic, there's no opportunity for us to, to grow and penetrate the the female market like for women to buy for themselves and use their, their products for themselves it's just not going to happen so uh we do have women who buy for their loved ones you know or the the bearded men in their life or, or ultimately the men in their life and then i've got some ideas to, to kind of branch out and develop some products to serve women um, but it won't be through uh, the, the beard brand name makes sense there's a lot of dudes out there. So it's like when you're bootstrapped and you got no VCs and you got no expectations to grow at a certain rate, it's just like, you know, like we've got a great business here and we we do well and we got a roof over our head and let's just serve the people who we serve, you know, like it's okay that we don't serve everyone, you know, like I think in today's world, everyone wants to develop these unicorn businesses that serve everyone and make, you know, billions of dollars, but it's okay to develop a business that's small and, and maybe doesn't grow that big. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, men is still a really big uh, target customer base. I was just curious if, uh, you know, any, any woman used your products still. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more kind of about your team. So you've got kind of a whole team working with you who's spread out over the U.S. and even uh, in Portugal. Uh, what is it that you really look for uh, in potential team members and in your hiring process? Yeah, I could do a whole podcast on hiring. It was a poor hiring practices set the company back 18 months. Um, this was something that I wish I knew on day number one. Uh, we, our first hire was actually an amazing employee team member. And I think we thought it was really easy to hire people. And uh, so we got lucky with our first first team member and we, we hired the same way for the next, you know, like five or six members. And all those members, you know, just ended up not being a good fit. So we found this uh, hiring process called top grading. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but the basic concept is throughout every stage of the hiring process, you're letting the candidates know that you are going to be doing a reference check of their previous supervisors. And then you actually do a reference check. So that automatically kind of weeds out the people who can't, who've burned their bridges and, and they're not going to have good references. Um, and then it's it's just a multi, like uh, I can tell you like the the different steps are, have a really compelling job post, get it in front of the right people, um, screen your candidates to, to focus on your, your best candidates. And then we um, see what their communication skills are like and, and what their, their talent levels are like through like initial kind of like online tests, uh, typing tests. We do a typing test to see how fast they can type because Communication is really big in business. I, I think it's like if you had two people with the same skills and the only thing that was different was the communication skills, hire that. And then if you have someone that's a way better communicator, 
than someone else who, you know, uh, maybe is even better skilled, but a terrible communicator, I might even still go with the better communicator. Um, Cause that's one thing that we learn is just when people say, Oh yeah, I got it. And they don't got it. Um, it, 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 it breaks, uh, it breaks a lot of trust, which is one of our core values. So then we, we kind of really focus on our core values, freedom, hunger, and trust, and make sure that we're aligning with people who value those core values. And we talk about it like, Beard Brand is a very individualistic company. We don't have micromanagers. We don't really even have managers. We have expectations. And you as a team member are expected to deliver that. You're expected to find your own problems and solve your own problems. And you're expected when you need help to communicate with team members that you need help. So I'll tell you, man, 90% of the people looking for jobs, they all say they want that, but they can't handle it. They legit cannot handle the ambiguity ambiguity and the uncertainty that comes with this style of operations uh, so you really need a self-directed person who feels confident in their own talents and so the hiring process is really just trying to weed that out and try to find that and um, then we'll take them through like a skills test to make sure they have the appropriate skills and then we do the the top grading interview which is basically 10 questions that we have that we ask uh the same 10 questions in regards to their previous three jobs. So we were trying to find any patterns or trends. Like for instance, one of the questions is like, what is the skill that your boss can improve upon the most? And if all three companies, it's like communication, then chances are the candidate is the weak link. Whereas if they have like different opportunities, like one's organization, one's communications, one's, you know, like, I don't know, showing up on time or something like tardiness. Um, then you're like, okay, well, clearly, um, it's, it's not the candidate who's in the bad part of this or, or holding this relationship back. So, and then we do the reference checks and verify all the things that they said, uh, about the, the previous, um, previous, uh, supervisors. And then we make an offer. Yeah. And, and what was, uh, what did the hiring process look like before that didn't work out so well, if you don't mind me asking, just as a comparison. Oh, we would post it on Craigslist and then we're like, oh, we like this person. Let's hire him. You, no, no interview. I mean, we would interview him and be like, oh, yeah, here's the th I would say here's the, the, the biggest learned lesson from how we used to do it. We used to hire them and be like, oh, hopefully, you know, they've got potential. Hopefully they can do it. I think they can do it. We can always fire them if they're not a good fit. And if you ever hire someone thinking, oh, we can fire them, do not hire them because you will fire them. So only hire people who you're just like, I can't wait for this person to start. They're such a good fit for the company. I can't wait for like day number one. They're just going to come in and crush it. Because uh, when you start hiring those people, they do come in and they do crush it. So yeah, if ever at any point you're just like, ah, oh, you're settling here. No, because you're going to fire them. Uh, and then you're just going to throw like six months of your time away or whatever, three months. However, like we tend to fire slower than we should because we want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I mean, firing people is easier said than done. Yeah. And of course, like, you know, they develop relationships and it hurts the team dynamic and stuff like that. So uh, after nine years, you start to get a good feel of what's going to work at, at the company and what's not going to work. But in those early days, it's challenging. It's really challenging. And your, your, your needs change too. Like in the early days, you need generalists. And then as you get more established, you need specialists. Um, and then there's going to be like a rough transition period when you go from generalists to 
to, to specialists. And sometimes those people can make it and sometimes they need to find a, a new role where they can continue to be a generalist. And, and going off of that, how is, how is your role kind of changed over the years? Um, and, you know, being the, the leader of your organization? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I started off doing pretty much everything with a little bit of help with my business partners. And then my, my business partner, Lindsay, came on board in February of, of 2014. And uh, she kind of took over the operational side of things, uh, which is great because I'm really terrible at those. And I kind of took over the marketing side of things. And that was kind of the, the primary focus. I would do like a lot of editing and, you know, graphic design work and website management, product, all that stuff. I was doing all that. And then just like uh, the, the process is, as an entrepreneur, you start to hire the things that you don't like to do and you do worst. And then you're left with the thing that you do best, but then you end up getting so overtaxed with that that you end up being bad at that too. So uh, eventually, if you do it right, you end up in a purely like brand building, strategic vision, visionary type of role. And I would say I'm there, uh, you know, with like 90 you know, 90% of my time, uh, I can kind of stick on the vision, the big picture, the culture building and working on the business rather than in the business and, and spreading like the mission, like doing podcasts like these and, and doing my own podcast and, and uh, tweeting a bunch and trying to like, just bring awareness through my efforts. Yeah, I think that's where every entrepreneur kind of wants to get uh, is where you can just focus on, on, on growing the brand. Um, what, what else does that look like? So you mentioned a few things that you do. If, if it's 90% of your time, what, what does that typical week look like? Or, you know, a, a random week? Cause I know there is no typical week when you. Yeah. I, I got a fairly good routine. Like, um, you know, Thursday is our product dev meeting. So I'm still involved in the product development process. Um, yeah, I'm still involved in the daily huddles, um, but I'm not running any of these meetings. Um, and then I'm still, uh, so I'm still like a product dev is still a pretty big thing. And then I do, uh, I create content for our YouTube channel, uh, which is, is part of it. And then I create a lot of content for our ads. So I'm like one of the faces of the brand. So, you know, I, I don't really view that as um, strategic anyway, but it's still kind of related. So there is uh, that, that task oriented role of that. And then, uh, you know, like I'm not involved in budgeting. My business partner does that. Um, but I'll go to conferences and try to get inspiration and try to build relationships, you know, try to learn, try to see things that, you know, my team members. So kind of in the weeds of, of getting stuff done that, you know, my role and my responsibility is just to, to keep my eyes and ears open. Is there anything that you hired other people to do so that you no longer have to do that you, you kind of miss and wish you could still do a little bit. Oh no, man. Like every once in a while it will be like, uh, you know, like if our video editor went on vacation and I have to like, you know, do a last minute edit for videos, I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, I can do this. And then I get in there and like, Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bad at this, uh, or graphic design or photography or something like this is, uh, like I have this memory in my head of being like a great photographer and a great video editor. And then I like, I get in there and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really bad at this. So I'm glad I'm, I'm not doing it, but, uh, yeah, I, I like being the, the strategic and the, the visionary. Like, I, I feel like that is a role that I can bring the most value to the company. And it's a role that I also really enjoy doing. And would you say right now that you guys are, that you personally are hundred percent focused on personal grooming products? Um, or is there kind of a possibility you might diversify 
at some point into less familiar territory. No, we, we've toyed around with different products in the past. Uh, we had like suspenders, we had wallets. Hell, we even so, so sold olive oil at one period of time. And we learned through all this experimentation that grooming products is our bread and butter and we'll continue to do that. So there will be, you know, like maybe we'll branch out beyond like the, the stuff in a jar or a bottle. And so like a hair dryer or beard, beard trimmer or more like hardware oriented things. Um, but it's going to be related to grooming. And you mentioned that you were bootstrapped, um, you know, what was that like? And was there ever a period in time where you're like, you know, this is hard. I, I actually need to get some funding or, or, you know, how, how did that work for you? How did you remain bootstrapped and, and patient thread at all? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a former financial advisor. Um, understanding money and finance has never been a challenge for me. And at Beard Brand, we've never had money issues. We've never had that point where we don't have enough money for something. Uh, and a lot of that is because I'm like super conservative. Whereas a lot of entrepreneurs who I know are really aggressive in growth. And, you know, I had a guy, I remember I was probably doing like 2 million, two or 3 million bucks a year at the time. And I was talking to my buddy who's probably doing like 10 X that. And he kept less cash in the bank than I did. And I was just like, that is absolutely unreal. Like, how can you sleep at night? Because like, a bad week or whatever, and you're going to burn through that capital. So we we keep so much like cash on hand that uh, we're able to kind of withstand those ups and downs without getting too stressed out. And maybe it's been at the expense of our growth, but I would much rather sleep well at night and not have to stress my team out all the time to know that, you know, we can withstand the ups and downs. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're lucky with that. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and I think when you're bootstrapped, uh, you really kind of got to focus on uh, what actually makes the most sense. You can't just like spray out money everywhere and, and then see what works. You got you to gotta really figure it out. Yeah, that's uh, one of the blessings is like you are forced to, to spend your resources and allocations to the thing that had the biggest impact on the business. Whereas if you have a load of money from investors who want you to grow at breakneck speeds, then you end up like, you know, buying you know, Weibo ads or whatever, like some BS thing that no one's ever heard of and, you know, doesn't work or anything like that. Uh, I I don't know if there's an actual Weibo. I just kind of made that word up. So uh, if there is a Weibo, my apologies uh, <laughs> to your company name. And how did you, you find the process of, of getting your product into retailers like Target as opposed to uh, e-commerce, which uh, is, I'm assuming e-commerce is kind of your, your company's brand and butter? The best hack in life is create a brand so damn cool you don't have to sell it to anyone like that should be your goal like make your product so damn cool so damn good so much better than everything else that you can't stop people from asking you to to stock it so that's what happened to us target wanted to carry us um and so we didn't really have to knock on their door and convince them buy shelf space and all that stuff um but it's hard. It's really hard to create a brand that's that's really cool. And it's really hard to create a product that, that's really cool. But I think like, especially in America, that's the expectation is like you just, if you want to copy beard brand, you know, and like rip off our ingredient list and our packaging or whatever, we're just going to crush you. 
you know, because we just got so much better content. We've got so much better education. We've got a private community. We've got, you know, like, so you have to do something innovative. You have to do something different. You can't just copy what everyone else is doing and expect yourself to, to, to find traction. And you're something different. Is that community, you would say? I mean, I think Beard Brand's got a lot uh, difference. Like our, our unboxing experience is really premium. Our our product offering, you know, the scent confusion. No one has scent confusion uh, or products that can end scent confusion. And, uh, you know, our products are great. Everyone says their products are great. Everyone says their customer support is great. You know, again, I think we're, we're pretty great there, but I don't think that's why people are buying from us. I do think it's, you know, the content and the education that we're bringing, you know, it's like we give first uh, before we ask. And even when we ask, we're okay with people going the opposite direction. So um, it, it really comes down to, you know, just being a pillar of resources and support and inspiration for for our target audience. And, and they reward us with their business. Yeah, that's a really cool story. I don't think anyone uh, who's come on this podcast has ever said that, that, that target came to them. What, what did that look like for, for you guys? Yeah, I mean, it, well, to, to get into a little more details, Target works through these uh, marketing agencies. So Target didn't explicitly come to reach out to us, but like all these marketing agencies were kind of reaching out to us. And what happens is the buyer is like, you know, the buyer tells these agencies, hey, I'm trying to get beard brain in. Can you, can you do it? So that's kind of how it worked for us. Uh, we actually started with a, just a, like an online test brand uh, for them that didn't get a lot of traction. And then we we did a, a big launch uh, a couple of years ago, 2018, I think, um, when we, we first got in the stores. Still super cool that, that, you know, you didn't have, you got into such a big retail and you weren't the ones knocking on the door pitching like I think most entrepreneurs do. Yeah, I mean, we, we still had to pitch, you know, we still had to sell ourselves. We still had to show, we had to prove that, you know, investing in beard brand and, and investing in beard brand on your shelves was going to help target make money, you know, and that's the goal was like, how do we help target, you know, become a profitable company or not become a profitable company? We're way too small for that. But how do we be, help them become, you know, efficient in this department? And uh, yeah, like we want to be every, you know, every retailer's best supplier. And we want every customer to think we're the, the, the best brand for them. And like, and we want every manufacturing partner to, to love working with beer brand. Like we want to pay our invoices quick and early. We want to, you know, like, uh, you know, have like superfluous communication. So there's no mutual mystification on what's expected. So, uh, but we have high expectations too. So we're trying to do things that, that aren't easy to do and, uh, you know, things that, that people shy away from. So it's not easy, but, um, uh, when you treat people with respect on a framework of trust and you give them that freedom and understand that they have that hunger to, to want to serve you, then, then things go really well. I think it's a good, a good way to look at it there. Um, now, obviously, you know, these past year and a bit has been really challenging for everyone with the current marketplace, but uh, how would you say that, that COVID-19 has impacted beer brands specifically? Yeah, I mean, so personally, um, the, the lockdowns and the mask mandates and uh, the travel restrictions and all that stuff personally has been terrible for me. Like it's it's I've, I've been driven into, you know, like depressed moments 
uh, I want to call it depression, but times where I'm, I'm feeling very down on the world, uh, defeated. So I would, uh, I cannot wait for the world to, to come back to the way it was in end of 2019. Uh, and I know that hopefully that's, that's coming soon. And now with that being said, um, the, the restrictions did drive a lot of people to purchase online. So, you know, the, the plus is it was beneficial to beard brand, but in a million years, I would much rather not have that growth in beard brand and have society in the world the way it was and have all those lives, you know, back like, um, and people who have, have passed from, from the diseases and, and the uh, government lockdowns too. Like, uh, so it's been a tough year. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly been a tough year, but we'll get through it. hundred percent. Um, is there anything that you you did at Beard Brand differently in regards to either, you know, marketing or, or or kind of stuff that you did with your employees to help them? Is there anything you kind of put in place to you know, help ease everything? Yeah, I mean, we, we did a lot of things. Um, so from a customer perspective, we have a product called the Utility Bar, which you can use to wash your hands, wash your body, shave with, wash your hair, wash your beard. It's personally my favorite product that we sell at Beard Brand. It's amazing. Um, we dropped the price on that for the three packs to to help people, you know, maintain their cleanliness and uh, maintain their hygiene. So that was a big thing for us in the early days, like right when all the lockdowns, you know, like just locked down for two weeks. Right when that happened, we uh, we put that that uh, off that offer out to our. Uh, audience and that really resonated well with them and connected with them and then we uh we we continue we made that a permanent thing um at some point uh and then uh you know we we treat our team members like adults whereas uh, i don't think that happens everywhere so we have no like if you come into first of all you're not required to come into the office at beard brand um but if you do come in, come in with the expectation that we do not require a mask. So if you want to be in an environment where people are wearing a mask, you cannot expect that at Beard Brand. But we're also not forcing you to come in. So if you're sick, don't come in. Please don't come in. You know, like, and subsequently, like, no one got sick at Beard Brand. You know, like, it's funny treating people like adults, how effective that is and how happy people are. You know, our team is probably from a workplace environment is probably happier than they've ever been uh, to, to know that they've got this kind of freedom and trust and respect from their team where uh, they can come in and, you know, like do what they need to do and manage their own risk level, um, which is something I'm a big fan of. I like that. And, you know, that goes along with a lot of what you said, kind of treating people like adults and, you know, not, not micromanaging or managing as a whole. You really you know, you hire independent people and then you treat them like independent people. I think that's, uh, it's a really good motto to have. Um, so, so going off of that, uh, where do you envision, uh, the future of your brand going? And I'd love if you kind of walk me through, I know it's, it's hard to say always, but maybe one year, five years, and you're even 10 years down the line. Uh, what, what do you see happening here? Yeah. Beard brand, um, it's, you know, I think a company has like this kind of uh, S-shaped curve, right? In the early days, you're trying to figure out what you're trying to do. So we sold a little bit of everything. We had distribution a little bit of everywhere. 
And then uh, we tried a bunch of different things and we saw some traction. We saw some distraction. And so we ended up uh, during this middle growth period, we ended up like cutting all the distractions and really focusing on what we're good at. So the future is going to be, now that we've been through all that, the future is going to be that is continuing to do the things that we're really good at and do it at a larger scale. So there's still opportunity for us to, you know, get our products uh, into Europe. You know, for example, we, we pulled out of Europe a number of years ago. And, um, but the reality is I really want to make sure we're maximizing our, our, you know, lowest hanging fruit. I want to capture all the lowest hanging fruits before I move on to the next thing, or at least like 90% of it or 95. And we're such a small drop in the bucket of the marketplace right now that uh, it's still a complete blue ocean for us to be able to grow uh, within the markets we currently serve. So that's just the exciting part of it uh, is being able to continue to expand. And then we'll, you know, uh, have limited edition products. We'll develop new products. Um, and then ultimately, maybe the long-term vision, like the 10 or 20-year version of what we're trying to do is I would like to develop like a, a multi-niche uh, company. So where we have... Um, beard brand selling to bearded guys. And then I've got this other brand right here that's like a work in progress called Sovereignty. And Sovereignty will focus on a different niche, a different audience and develop products that uh, work well within that. And and again, these niches are my personal niches. They're things that I'm passionate about, but I'm not just a bearded guy, you know, like I'm also a rower. I'm also, you know, like a, you know, freedom lover, like I like to travel, you know, I'm all these different people. So I think there's a lot of different niches that we can kind of grow and expand into and, and serve a, a larger audience through niches. And is this something that you want to do kind of for the rest of your life? Or I, would you ever want to, to move on from this or sell the company? What is what do your personal goals look like? Here? Now, this is something that I, I feel very passionate about and, and sharing. I think there's wrongly, I think there's too much of an emphasis on the exit, on the destination, on building this business, having an IPO and checking out or selling it to some other company, and then going to live on your yacht on an island or something. And the thing that I ask myself is like, if I sold Beard Brand, what would I do? Well, I know the answer to that. I would start up another company just like Beard Brand. And it's like, well, if I'm starting up a company just like Beard Brand, why the hell would I sell it? You know, like, why would I not just figure out how to take Beard Brand and add another zero to it rather than take some from 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 zero to one? Or, you know, like, uh, as a business owner, like, you have challenges, you have problems, right? And the business will stop growing or you'll sell it at the point where you're no longer capable of solving those problems. Um, so... The problems may not be what you think they are. You know, like most people are like, oh, you know, beard brand can only reach so many men um, because it's named a beard. It's only going after bearded guys. You know, it's only going after guys. So you only have, you know, 10% of the population that's available. Well, that's a problem, right? So how do I solve it? Well, I have a sub brand, right? And the business keeps on going. You know, so there's, you know, uh, just a lot of different ways to solve it. And then the other thing I think about is I'm, I'm, I know there's a lot of other business partners or business owners out there like this, but I really love my business partners. I absolutely love them. And I know if we sold this business, we would never have beard brand again, right? It's, it's essentially ending my relationship with my business partners. And how much is that worth? And to me, that's worth a lot of money. 
uh, to, to break up any kind of relationship uh, that it would have. And we could start something new again. We could start something fresh, but it's not going to be the same. You know, it's not going to have the same memories we have, the same employees. It's all going to be different. Um, meanwhile, if we can keep this train going and really enjoy the journey rather than focusing on the destination, uh, I think we can build something that's multi-generation that we pass on to to my kids or my business partner kids. And, and uh, we're able to build a legacy that we own and control for, for, you know, decades, really. That's awesome. Um, I love, I love to hear that. Cause I think you're absolutely right that, that most people are just focused on first of all, fundraising, which you never did. And then the exit and you know, how they're going to make their, you know, first million dollars. And instead of just focusing on doing what they love, which is kind of what you've done. And you, I, I get the impression that you, you would never uh, want to do something else, which is, which is really cool. Um, so I'm going to get to a, a part of my podcast that we call the quick fire round. Uh, so these are quick questions that I have for you. Um, and ideally you'll answer them in around uh, 30 seconds or less. And they're not all necessarily pertaining to a uh, beer brand. Cool. I'll try to be quick with my responses. Do you have any morning rituals that you do to kickstart your day? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I kind of spend a little bit of time in the bathroom, and then I uh, I go and make a espresso, and then um, fill up my water jar, and I'll head to uh, my gym and do a little uh, weightlifting session. Um, or if I'm not weightlifting, then uh, I'll skip the coffee, and I'll go row. So it's a morning exercise. And then I'll take my daughter to school. And then come back, shower, and get ready for work. And do you have a, a usual time that you wake up? Uh, currently, it's it's between four forty five and five fifteen. Whose content do you listen to, watch, or read the most? Uh, there's a guy on YouTube called Rich Rebuilds. He is a very inappropriate um, car guy. He, he makes some cars. I, I watch a lot of his content. I watch a lot of those uh, primitive technology, primitive skills on YouTube. Uh, uh, B is for build. I'm on YouTube a lot. So, uh, and they're more entertainment uh, is what I do. And then I, I pick up my education of business through just chatting with other business owners and networking events and things like that. Uh, do you have a favorite book of all time? Yeah, I've got a few of them. Um, Rich People uh, by Andy Kessler, Atomic Habits by James Clear. How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. How much would I have to pay you to completely shave your beard? Um, well, I've completely shaved my beard back in December of 2019. So you don't have to pay me anything. You just watch the video. Just watch the video. <laughs> How about to stay to stay shaven? How much would, would someone have to pay you? Yeah, if I had to shave for the rest of my life, I would, I would not do that. There's no amount of money. That would be a terrible life, man. You this just like you just envision the the worst life I could ever imagine. It would worse than torture. Yeah, I mean it is torture. Forcing me to shave every single day. God. Uh, what is your favorite purchase of a hundred dollars or less? It's funny because like I've I've kind of gotten on a few consumer kicks recently, and I'm trying to think like how much did I spend on the products. It can be close to $100 or a little over. It can't be like a car though. You know, it can't be a big, big purchase. This, this, I, this was like $800, which is not $100. But my espresso machine, it ends up being a net benefit because I, I'm, 
yeah, it took me six months to to break even on it. So grab if you drink out at coffee shops all the time, get yourself an espresso machine. Absolutely. It's worth it. Do you wanna plug it? Uh the exact exact one you got? Yeah, I mean I've I've got the uh the the was it the Barista Express from Breville? Um, but I think there's a lot of different options out there. So what is your favorite place you've ever been to? I would want, I want to list a few because I've been to so many great places. I love Tokyo, Japan. I love Denmark, uh, Aarhus, Copenhagen. I love, uh, Valparaiso, Chile. Those are, um, my top spots off the top of my head that aren't in America. And if you had to move to one, it doesn't even need to be from the three you just listed. If you had to move somewhere. Can't be in America. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to get my wife to, to move to Denmark. Cool. Maybe at least for the summer, but maybe not the whole year. <laughs> my Texan well, blood might not be able to handle handle their winners. I, I get that. Uh, what is your favorite brand uh, that isn't beer brand? Again, there's a lot that I like and admire. Uh, speaking of coffee, Onyx Coffee Lab has beautiful presentation for their product tracksmith uh for athleisure wear incredible um rowing blazers i'm not a customer of theirs but i just totally dig it cricket shirts here in austin is great they they have such a cool vibe to them for like the the preppy golf shirts um guy i mean there's just so many great brands that it's just fun, like being in the space to be able to look at what they're doing and admire what they're doing. Who has your favorite beard? And I'd love a, a non-fictional person and a fictional person. You know, like the there's a lot of great beards out there, um, but the one that's really kind of come into mind is someone who's not traditionally known as a bearded guy, and that's Pierce Brosman. Uh, there's a photo of him where he's got kind of like this scruffy uh, Van Dyke looking beard. And he's just, it's kind of like gray and multi-textured and he's got these steely eye look to him. Of course, he's a very handsome person. Um, so I do I do dig his facial hairstyle. And then nonfiction, God, I mean, like everyone's rocking a beard, you know, like Chris Evans and uh, Captain America or whatever. He had a beautiful, well-groomed red beard. Um, Wolverine was really interesting with the, the mutton chop kind of thing he had going on. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, uh, I, I don't get into fiction that much. And of course, like all the Lord of the Rings characters with their giant beards and uh, no Santa Claus, Santa Claus is pretty cool. You know, um, I like, uh, you know, speaking of, I, I kind of like the, uh, like the European Santa Claus, I guess they call him St. Nick or something. He's just like a little more svelte you know he's got a little more um elaborate costume you know it's not as plain and uh he's just got a little more brawny like i prefer that look over the american santa claus my last question for you here is what advice would you give to someone looking to build their own influence so this can be either in the business or influencer world First of all, you have to be able to make statements that are not common, right? Because if you're just repeating the narrative, whatever that narrative is, no one gives a shit because you're not the one making that narrative. So you have to make your own narrative. 
You have to have your own story to tell and you have to be passionate about it. And then you have to be able to connect with people who understand that passion and they resonate with that passion. So in the early days, like I, I've been on Twitter a lot and this is a great community to be able to interject your views into public conversations um, and start to build a following that way. Um, but you just got to take a risk and put your, your views out there and know that not everyone's going to like it. And for all those people, screw off. <laughs> They're my views, not your views. Be unconventional. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on today. I think, uh, you know, from selling pixie sticks to growing this awesome brand that's really reflects you as a person and who you are. Uh, I think it's really cool to kind of hear your journey uh, from start to finish. And there's uh, lots that everyone can learn from you. Uh, and I look forward to kind of seeing where you continue to take this. Here. Yeah, I, I hope uh, the listeners were able to, to pull a nugget or two out of this has been a lot of fun and you ask great questions so uh, i would imagine your listeners are probably some of the smartest and brightest listeners out there awesome and that was hunting influence to find out more about influence hunter and how we source micro and nano influencers to exponentially grow the reach of your brand visit influencehunter.com and then make sure to search for hunting influence in apple podcasts Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Influence Hunter, thanks for listening.